A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair Chapter 7 You're insane. Dr. Qualls patiently absorbed the accusation. Finally, Maria spoke again. The future? The thing came from the future? It did. The year 2039. It was sent back 40 years to 1999, and then it took 16 years to be found. If they wanted to deliver it to you, why didn't they just pop it into your office? Then you could have got it back then instead of having to wait. Dr. Qualls topped off their coffee with a cheap little electric percolator he kept on the credenza. The truth is, I don't completely know. I have some speculations. You see, these markers are the only communications I receive from them. I can post them letters, which then sit unopened in a P.O. box for a quarter century. But if they have something to say to me, for some reason, it must go on one of these. My guess is that they don't want to put them in populated areas just in case they miss the mark. One of these appearing out of thin air and falling on someone's head would be too conspicuous. But of course, I'm not the most mobile. So they put each one somewhere where they hope it will be stumbled upon, and they hope whomever does the stumbling will be good enough, or even curious enough, to deliver it. Maria realized that she sounded dumb and repetitive, but she found she just couldn't move forward in the conversation yet. But it's from the future? Yes. How can you know that for sure? I had a sample examined privately, and this metal does not technically exist yet. That, and the tendency of the messages to know about things, like that painting. Maria's brain was engaged in some crazy off-road racing, knocked askew by fatigue, and the mad possibilities Dr. Qualls was grinning about so stupidly and fuel-boosted by way too much coffee. Finally, she grabbed a key fact. So, you've seen other markers? Yes. The first one found its way to me about 12 years ago. I went through very much the same process you're going through now. Why do they send things to you? Again, unfortunately, the conversation has not advanced enough for me to know that. But my hypothesis is that, well, it's because I had a hypothesis. He chuckled. Maria didn't. He coughed and continued. My field is particle physics. I admit I'm not one of the leaders in that field. But what I am is, for lack of a better term, extremely nerdy about the possibility of time travel. I have published a few essays in magazines speculating on how particle accelerators might make it possible to send objects back in time. This may be someone in the future letting me know that my theory was correct, which truly does make every day like my birthday. Okay, so what do they want us to do? Oh, they haven't told me yet. Really? Twelve years of talking back and forth and they haven't said why they're doing this? Well, twelve years from my perspective. We're dealing with a much shorter window there. I might mail them a letter, then mail them another five years later, and they probably open them both on the same day in the future. 
It's very funny to think about. Maria shook her head. If it's funny to you, that's fine, but what's the holdup? The holdup is that I've needed a partner, someone here in our present, able to retrieve the markers they send. I don't know how many of my questions they've answered, and someone must undertake the task they need done. Someone able to follow instructions exactly, Maria finished the thought. She stared at the floor, feeling her brain throb. She never trafficked in science fiction, except maybe some of the technology she got her hands on in the Air Force, which was certainly more advanced than she had imagined, but was nowhere near this level. So other people who have brought you these things, they got interviewed and tested like I did? Yes. One thought the markers were some sort of communist plot. He'd run a Geiger counter over the thing, found a harmless level of trace radiation, and decided it had something to do with water fluoridation. I pity the man's unhappiness that he had to live his life with his own Geiger counter. Another posted a bunch of pictures online about the thing, which caused all sorts of problems, although thankfully it was before picture sharing became too ubiquitous. I bribed him to take it down. He wanted to know more, but I got a bad impression of his motivations. So we've been through a few false starts. Maria made a dubious face. You think I measure up? Dr. Qualls chuckled again. I think you're temperamental, rude, and uncooperative. However, he said, tracing his fingers over the surface of the marker, I think you also have a sense of duty and believe strongly in what's right. He took off his glasses, rubbed the bridge of his nose, then he stared at her with prominent and unshielding eyes. I don't know what happens in the future. I don't know what we're supposed to change. We may never know if it's for the better or for the worse. Apparently, it's my choice who carries out this mission. He laughed with just a touch of despair as he waved around his small plane office. You might not take this as the most ringing endorsement, but having seen the competition, I don't think I'm going to find anyone better than you. Maria dug into her pocket and found a stick of gum. With deliberate care, she unwrapped it, stuck it in her mouth, and chewed, feeling the burst of mint start to wash away all the acid and bitterness she'd been swallowing. It's okay, she finally said. If you had told me how awesome I was, I wouldn't have believed you. Two things, she continued, rubbing her hands together. I don't know how to stop global warming or anything. If they give me something to do... It's got to be specific. Dr. Qualls nodded assent. Second, she continued, her eyes hardening perceptibly. I'm not killing anybody. Don't ask me to do it. I don't care if it's baby Hitler Jr. If the job is to kill baby Hitler Jr., you do it yourself. Her passenger was arrogant, and he was screwing around. She was trying to teach him how to do controlled turns using a landmark on the ground, and he just kept banking left and right like it was a goddamn amusement park ride. 
he would chuckle at her chiding and then go right back to it. Sir, if you don't follow my instructions, I'm taking us down. Hey, I paid for the full experience. I'm just getting my money's worth. Finally, Maria had had her fill of him. You want to know what being a pilot's really about, she asked. He looked over, interested. Keeping her voice even, she said, to recover from a spiral dive, throttle to idle, level to the horizon using both your rudder and aileron together, pressure back, pull the carb heat, and cruise. Got it? He looked blankly at her, so she repeated it. Throttle idle, level horizon, pressure back, carb heat, cruise. He shrugged at her. Okay, so what are we... And she grabbed her stick and yanked it hard to the right. At her command, the 152's nose pitched down, and the plane started to scream towards the ground, exactly in the spiral shape she had described. The man in the other seat yelped and threw up his hands, eyes wide in panic. Releasing the controls, she started hitting him and screaming, We're crashing! We're crashing! Do something! We're crashing! He shut his eyes and screamed obscenely. Shaking her head with disgust, Maria turned back the controls and executed the recovery sequence. Within seconds, they were cruising at a thousand feet, smooth and dandy. 152s were so easy. She could hear Albert's panicked voice in her headset. She'd settle him down soon enough. She turned to the man who'd paid for the full experience. Being a pilot, she said, means you spend 1,000 nice, quiet hours in this seat always ready to handle that 20 seconds of hell immediately if it starts. I don't even think my heartbeat went up. How'd you do? It was a silly question. She was pretty sure the idiot had pissed himself. So I got suspended from work, Maria announced on her way in. Leah was chopping vegetables very slowly and carefully in the kitchen. It took her something like an hour to get through a damn onion. She stopped chopping. Oh no, what happened? Maria settled in a chair and pushed around the newspapers and mail, cluttering it. Ah, I yanked a guy's chain. Albert's not really mad, but he had to do something. Hey, do you want to go camping with me? What? You've never asked me before. Well, I've got to go out. It's actually the other job, the jersey thing. I have to find another one of those metal things. Oh, that seems very unlikely. The last one was so random. They gave me directions, Brainiac. This one's in New York, the Andorondacks. It's beautiful. You'd love it. Leah rubbed her forehead and looked worried. I don't, I mean, I've never really, is it safe? Well, there's some moose. Maria saw Leah start to look very alarmed. It's not a big deal. They mostly fight other moose for girlfriends this time of year. If we keep the junky people food locked up, they'll leave us alone. I want to. I really do. I just don't know how it works. I don't even have a sleeping bag. We'll get you fixed up, kid. The doc's going to get us some money for the job. 
We just pitch the tent, bundle up, then we hang out and listen to the wind. It's pretty awesome, you'll see. Can we play cards? We'll play so much cards, you'll hate cards. Leah was quiet and still for a long moment. Then she threw her arms around Maria and hugged her. Thank you. Yes, it will be fun. Whoa, kid. Watch that big knife you're holding. Maria was grateful that Leah was so far not too interested in the details of her job for Dr. Qualls. The sheer craziness of it all wouldn't stop dancing around in Maria's head, and she had a hard time not blurting out to the guy at the donut shop that she was going into the woods on a mission given to her from the future. Lately, she'd had a lot of sympathy for that nut down by the gas station who's always rambling about death satellites. Leah volunteered to take the first leg of the drive, up through Rutland, where they would stop for a brunch. Maria watched her as she navigated the woody highway. She seemed about as happy as Maria had ever seen her. Maria felt safe enough to let her mind drift for a while. After lunch, she took over and Leah napped contentedly beside her. The kid looked really peaceful. I'm surprised you agreed to this, the voice said, catching her off guard and puncturing the illusory respite of their little scenic trip. Not that you don't have it in you, Maria. You definitely do. I just thought you were done with it all. Not now, Maria mumbled. Why not? Don't you like our conversations? Who wants to talk to the dead? You do, apparently. Got me there. Maria shook her head. Leah opened her eyes. Did you say something? Just talking to the voices in my head. Maria grinned awkwardly, curving around a beaver in the road. Leah frowned, trying to decide whether or not to take Maria seriously. Leah had a really hard time knowing when Maria was bullshitting her. Of course, Maria had told the truth, but she had wanted it to come off as bullshitting. So now she didn't know whether to laugh it off or just pretend it never happened. This is about as awkward as it gets, she thought to herself as she stared ahead, gripping the wheel and just trying to forget she'd opened her goofy mouth. Maria wasn't used to having help making camp. At first, she told Leah to just hang back and relax, but she kept catching Leah peering over the tent pieces. So finally, Maria called her over to help. Before too long, everything was set up. Maria usually opted for the further in, more sparse campsites. But for Leah's sake, she'd taken the one with the real showers, which made it a luxury hotel by Maria's standards. Is this it? Leah asked. Are we camping? Yep, this is what we do. Leah looked around. A couple of kids were pitching horseshoes. Some dads were cracking their first beers of the day. It's very quiet. Nice, huh? Leah frowned. I don't know. She crawled into the tent. Maria let her be for a moment and unrolled the map that she had purchased. She found the coordinates Dr. Qualls had provided her. They were backcountry, all right. She would have to hike several hours on the trail and then spend several more hiking through the forest to reach them. 
Getting the thing out in a day, even assuming she found it right away, would be a push. And it would be very, very cold at night. There was a primitive pack-in campsite along the route. Maria could break the trip up into two days and have all the time she needed. But that would mean either, one, convincing Leah to pack in with her, two, putting Leah in a cabin or a hotel for the night and taking the one tent, or three, leaving the tent with Leah and bundling the hell up somehow. Of the three options, the second looked best. And maybe Leah wouldn't mind having to rough it, even to this extent. Maria ducked her head in the tent. Knock, knock. You okay, kid? Leah was lying naked on the tent floor. Maria jerked her head out. Ah, ugh, oh, sorry, sorry. I didn't see anything. It's okay, Maria, Leah answered. Nonetheless, Maria kept the tent flap in the middle of the conversation. You just surprised me, is all. You feeling okay? Yes, I'm sorry. I just... The air felt really nice. Hey, no apologies needed. It's pretty fresh up here, huh? I think I like it. Great. Awesome. So I'm uh, just going to take a walk around, see who our neighbors are, okay? That sounds good. Maria turned to walk away, but Leah called out for her. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I still like boys. Yeah, princess, me too. But you're still hot stuff. Thank you, Maria. Maria handled cooking dinner. Pan steaks, primally satisfying. They drank root beers, and just holding the glass bottle felt slightly forbidden, a graze against danger. Maria wasn't so much a binger as she was a bad drunk, in the last couple years especially. She'd been a howling live wire of a drunk who might ball cry or headbutt a pint glass depending on the phase of the moon. She didn't know if that made her an alcoholic, but she did know she couldn't afford it these days. And honestly, she didn't know when these days would be over. What she had been calling a troubled phase was beginning to bear an awful resemblance to normalcy. Leah held her bottle close to her chest with both hands between sips. The sun was starting to set, and she squinted contentedly into it. How long have you been doing this? she asked. Uh, I did a couple years of Girl Scouts, Maria admitted, using a stick to poke at some sand in the fire pit. Was it fun? Sometimes. Girls can be nasty, but I liked camping. Desert camping can be pretty awesome. Ain't nothing like that sky. But you stopped? Yeah. Maria lingered on the word, and then the heavy silence became too much to ignore. My, uh, my brother got hit by a car. After that, Mom wanted to keep me close. What? Leah's whole body crumpled a little, the shock touching her physically. Maria shook her head. There was no avoiding this one now. Yeah, he was 13, just walking back from McDonald's where he'd been with his buddies. It was dark. He was walking on the road shoulder. They swerved suddenly and psh. She glanced one half off the other with a clap. They clipped him, freaked out, and drove away. 
13. I was watching TV while he bled to death. She scratched a boot awkwardly in the dirt, looked down, and nodded to herself as if to acknowledge reaching the end of the story. Leah shivered, hugged herself, then ran over and embraced Maria, who felt awkward getting a bent-over hug while she was slumped in the camping chair. Yeah, yeah, it's a big suck. Biggest suck of my life. He was going to be the one flying planes. Air Force was all he talked about. Leah backed up, sniffling, and sat on the edge of the fire pit. Is that why you joined? For his memory? I guess. I don't know. He doesn't even feel like a memory. He's still kind of with me. Leah nodded fiercely, suddenly investing great importance in this idea. What's his name? Sean. Dad got to name him, and he was browner than I've ever been. My mom gets to name me Maria, and I pop out looking all gringo. That's life, right? Can we drink a toast to Sean? A root beer toast? Maria managed a smile, impressed by Leah's reaction to the story she almost never shared. Why the hell not? To Sean. They clinked bottles. Yeah, here's to you, you big jerk, Maria thought. But no one answered. They played cards in the tent for a couple hours until the cold got to be too heavy and they stuffed themselves into their sleeping bags for the night. Maria switched on a heater and set a big flashlight by Leah. You're going to hear sounds you're not used to, but it's mostly pretty okay. This will help you find your way if you've got to go take a piss. Leah had her knit hat pulled far down over her ears, so only her face was visible. I think I'll hold it. I still have my socks on. Isn't that funny? It's a great way to go up here. By the time we're through, though, they'll be all stinky. Leah wrinkled up her nose and seemed delighted by this. So far, I like camping. Maria shut her eyes and thought for a while. Tomorrow wouldn't be the day to set out. One extra day of acclimation would make a world of difference on a big hike, and she still wasn't sure what to do about Leah. They were the same age by years, and the space case seemed so capable sometimes. But Leah could go back being wobbly and uncertain in a finger snap. It wasn't her fault, but it made it harder to judge what was okay with her. Maria wondered how an extra day might affect the urgency of her mission, whatever the hell it was. Was a thing already there waiting? Had it only just appeared? Weirder still, did they know when she was going to get it and it would just appear five minutes before she arrived? Did they know if she was going to leave Leah here or hike her deeper into the woods before Maria even had made up her mind? She would never know. The thing would just be there, or it wouldn't. Going around and round, that cost her some sleep. The next day started easy. Maria took a jog in the foggy morning that left her gasping but happy. Leah found the trail to the small lake shore, 
and spent a long time with a little mug of cocoa just watching the water. For a while, it was okay to treat this all exactly what it appeared to be, a getaway for two friends and roommates who had badly needed one. Around mid-afternoon, Maria was prepping her pack for the next day when she heard the car door open and shut. She instinctively checked her pocket for the keys, which she still had. Curious, she walked over to the car and saw Leah sitting in the back seat, crying. Moving very slowly, Maria opened the opposite door and sat down beside Leah, then put her arm across her friend's shoulder and held her. It's just so quiet, Leah sobbed. I can't. It's so quiet. Maria kissed the top of Leah's head and rubbed her arms. I know. Quiet ain't always easy. Sometimes hearing a scream would be better, wouldn't it? The voice asked. Maria grimaced, feeling a desperately unwanted tear form in her own eye. The cabin was up a hill a little away from the main drag of Chestertown, which was a map dot of a couple hundred people about ten miles outside the park. It had two bedrooms, a solid porch, and a lake view. Plus it had a little TV. Leah had bundled herself up on the couch to watch some cooking show. Maria was on the phone with some computer run by her bank, trying to figure out where her credit card was. This little indulgence was an extra $300 plus whack she hadn't been planning on, and whatever scheme the future had for paying her bills, it sure hadn't played out yet. She also had a voicemail from Dr. Qualls, who obviously had no idea there would be a place in the woods in America that could actually take a long time to walk to. Finally, she sat in the soft, saggy old chair by the couch. Feeling cozy, princess? Yes. I'm sorry I made us leave. I really did like it. Don't you dare apologize. You made it over 24 hours without a solid ceiling over your head. You know how many worker bees would freak out about that? Thank you. That's very nice. So listen, I've got to leave you here alone tomorrow to find the thing. We've got some food, and there's a restaurant down the hill about half a mile up the main road if you get cabin fever. She knew that Leah knew no animal called cabin fever. Just have a good time, but I want you to have the car, so you're going to have to do me a favor and drop me off at the trail and be there for me after. Leah nodded. What time will you be done? That part I don't know. It's a long day and a lot can happen. If you don't mind, bring a book and a blanket and something hot to drink and park around 5 p.m. If I'm not out by 8, it's because the sun is going down and I decided to camp. So I'm at a campsite back there and I'll be fine. And you can just come back at 8 the next morning and wait for me then. Sound good? Leah nodded. Then after a minute of silence, she asked, Do you like me, Maria? Shut up. Of course I like you. Could I ask you a really big favor? You can always ask, Princess. If we start getting more money because of this other job, do you think we could find a doctor for me? Maria shifted in the chair, suddenly uncomfortable. What, you don't think we're doing okay? 
It's been very nice, but I want to be the way I used to be. Like, I want it a lot now. The group and you and the shelter have all been so nice. I think a doctor should be next. She looked down and mumbled, already uncertain. I think I could try. I'll help you on these trips so I can earn the money. Maria looked at her friend, and sympathy finally drilled through whatever part of the idea was gripping her with discomfort. Of course, kid. If that's what you want, we'll get you a doctor. Thank you. I mean it about helping. I want to help. You're going to help me tomorrow, so you're already earning it. Maria took the last walk for the night and found a couple of jigsaw puzzles in the main cabin for them to pass the time with before bed. They were far from finished when the lights went out, but Maria knew Leah would finish them all by the time she came back. Layers. It was all going to be about layers. Layers to keep out the freezing morning. Layers to shed as the hiked miles got her sweating. Layers to keep out the moisture. Layers she worried about keeping dry. Layers that were inconvenient to carry when she wasn't wearing them. When Maria left Leah at the trailhead and marched into the woods, she was wearing a lot. Hours later, most of it was stuffed away, and she hiked in a long sleeve flannel and jeans without even the thermal underneath. She passed the pack-in campsite, which was sensibly empty at this time of year. In fact, Maria hadn't seen another hiker the whole day. This trail wasn't especially scenic for the area, and it was hard to reach. Maybe there was some deep woods treasure if you went far enough in, but no one this time of year was going to invest the days to reach it. She could use her phone's GPS to find the new marker's coordinates, but she had also done a fairly careful study of the trail map and was tracking how far her steps took her. Hopefully, the two measures would line up. Of course, the voice wanted to weigh in now. You picked the way to do this that was the hardest on you. That's where you're wrong. Trying to get her to hack this walk would have been harder. But you could have taken your time, shared the load. You're going as hard as you did at Lackland. God gave me legs. I'm using them. Haven't heard you say his name in a while. Like he doesn't know I know he's out there. It's good that you know he hasn't forgotten you. Hey, I just thought of something. If you're dead, you can tell me what it's all about. Any clouds where you're at? I don't think you believe I'm really a ghost. Yeah, you're not, are you? Nope. Just a reminder. Like I'll ever forget you. Forgetting me isn't the point. And what is? Suddenly, all she could hear was the soft crunch of damp leaves under her feet and her sucking breath. Just like the obnoxious voice to clam up at a moment like that. There was a sharp crook in the trail. It bent over 90 degrees and backtracked up a slope. In front of her was a massive flat face of rock. To the other side was an iffy downward slope. 
and her intended goal. She carefully sidestepped her way down, moving from one tree trunk to the next to hold or brace herself. With every step, she scanned the ground all around. Her GPS told her she was at the coordinates, but it was a wide field of dirt to cover. The best way to work would be to sweep outward from a central point and on a slope that promised to be annoying and dangerous as hell. Instead, she just paced off about a hundred steps along the trail above, then moved about twenty feet down the hill and started pacing back. It was past one in the afternoon and Maria's stomach was roaring with hunger. She thought about the animals she could kill and eat if given the chance. Big ones. Of course, it wouldn't matter a damn if she didn't get out of here. Then, almost an hour after she stepped off the trail, she saw it. A corner poking up under a carpet of leaves. It looked like it had dropped to the ground and slid a ways down the hill, one of those stupid little realities the geniuses of the future probably hadn't considered. Remembering from the last time how annoying it was to limp along with a thing weighing her down, she stepped slowly as she approached, then finally knelt down and swiped the leaves off it. Hello, Maria, it said along the top in those carved, precise letters. A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair If you love listening to this podcast, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Learn more about the novel by visiting www.sicknessintime.com <laughs>